What's up, hardcore humans? Welcome to another episode of the Hardcore Humanism Podcast. In this episode, we are talking with musician and singer-songwriter Tom Higginson, founding member of the group Plain White Tees. Now, you probably know the Plain White Tees for their 2006 platinum and Grammy-nominated hit, Hey There, Delilah, as well as their songs One, Two, Three, Four and Rhythm of Love. The band now has a couple of new singles out, Spaghetti Tattoo and Happy, and are playing a bunch of U.S. shows this summer and fall, including the When We Were Young Festival in Las Vegas in October. So check out their music, tour information, and merch at plainwhitetees.com. Now, in the Hardcore Humanism Therapy and Coaching Program, we want you to apply principles of humanistic psychology to your life so you can find your purpose, work hard to achieve it, and build a community around you who will support your most authentic and purpose-driven life. And the path of leading a purpose-driven life can often involve a range of practical skills. We need to understand who we are, what we hope to achieve in our life, how to take concrete steps towards our goals, and problem-solve any difficulties we may encounter along the way. But how do we know if we are even on the right path, that our sense of purpose is the best fit for us? Well, one of the ways that we can understand ourselves is how working towards certain aspects of our purpose feels to us. And when things are working for us, we often describe that feeling as magical. That magical feeling can often be what lets us know that we've met the right romantic partner, or when we connect with a hobby or passion that is really important to us, or we accomplish something in our lives professionally that has a special meaning. Whatever it is, we often use that magical feeling as a North Star to help us connect to our purpose and try to achieve our goals. Now, one of the ways that many of us discover that magical feeling is through music. We listen to a band, an album, or a song that always just transports us to a special place where we feel that magic. And when we experience that magic, we often feel really connected to that artist, album, or song. Which brings us to Tom and the infectious power of the song, Hey There, Delilah. So I just want to share a personal story about that song. Hey There, Delilah had just been released and was on the radio a bit before my daughter was born. And my wife and Hardcore Humanism co-founder, Island Booman, would sing it to her whenever it was on the radio. And to this day, no matter what we are doing, whenever my wife hears that song, she breaks down crying and tells my daughter that she used to sing it to her when she was little. It automatically brings us back to a magical feeling, a kind of innocence and optimism about the world that many of us hope to have in our lives. And so I wanted to talk with Tom about how he was able to create that feeling and convey that magic in the song and in his music in general, in the hopes that we can learn from his process. And in our conversation, one of the things Tom and I discuss is the complexity of achieving those magical moments in our lives. Oftentimes, those moments can be brief and predicated on a great deal of work that may not always feel so magical. We may be in the best position to meet that special someone in our lives only if we've put a great deal of hard work into our mental and physical health. Someone like Tom may only be able to write a song like Hey There, Delilah after years of often grueling practice at being a musician and singer-songwriter. And we may only achieve our professional goals after years of difficult study and hard work. So knowing how to balance this often difficult work with being open to experiencing that magical feeling can be really tricky and confusing on our purpose-driven journey. So let's hear what Tom has to say. Okay, Tom, welcome to Hardcore Humanism. Hey, yeah, good to be here. I'm uh, I'm kind of I'm I'm excited and nervous. I feel like you're going to hit me with some heavy stuff. I'm, I'm I'm I think I'm ready for it, but I don't know. We'll see. Well, unfortunately, uh, musically, you have hit 
me and and many other people with some heavy stuff. So there is a little <laughs> bit of a returning the favor. So I want to get into the concept that you and I were talking about. Enjoying the moment is a concept that people talk about all the time that particularly mental health professionals encourage people to do. And it's a great idea in theory, but in practice, it's incredibly difficult. And what's so difficult about it is that if you're going to create any kind of moment that really is worth enjoying, it often is based on a lot of planning, a lot of preparation, a lot of purpose-driven behavior. You know, sometimes you get lucky and you wander into something, but even those things, you know, it's kind of like a create your own luck thing. And so you have to put a huge amount of effort into creating the possibility of these moments, but then you also have to then stop and quote unquote, enjoy the moment with no thought of the past, no thought of the future to really be in there. And musically, you guys really evoke that uh, in a way that I think is, is just very much on point. I think it's one of the reasons why your popularity has endured for so much. And so I wanted to talk about kind of how you guys do that in your music, but also how you do that personally and any, any concepts and ideas that people can take away from how to, how to create and curate those moments where you're enjoying it. Believe me, I'm as guilty as anybody else for wanting to live in the moment, but then finding myself completely not, you know, like we'll go like sit on the beach or something with family. And like, that's pretty easy to live in that moment. Right. But a lot of times because I'm always, you know, just thinking and, and my artist brain goes crazy and I'm thinking of the next song or what I should be doing on social media to post about this upcoming release or something like that. A lot of times, even those moments that should be lived in um, are not, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm like, and I have to kind of catch myself and be like, okay, wait a minute, just shut those things off for now. Like look around, enjoy this, you know, you're in paradise here with your loved ones, like you, you do have to really make a big effort to do that sometimes, you know, it's not as easy as, yeah, it, it's very easy to say live in the moment, but yeah, like you're saying, it's, it's not always the easiest thing to do. Um, so yeah, I just want to preface that I'm not a, you know, I don't, I do not live in every moment I do. I am cognizant of that, you know, and I do attempt to do that as much as possible. Well, let's, let's take it even from a musical perspective, because I think one of the music to some degree is a great context for this, because in order to create good music, you had to have practiced, you had to be driven to practice. You have to have ideas that come up that, by the way, often are the things that interfere with other enjoyable moments. You know, I think a lot of musicians talk about how, you know, people are talking to them and they've got something kind of cooking in their head, like, you know, a melody or something like that. Right. And so maybe, maybe why don't we talk about your, your personal and your band's method of how you, you create the moments where there's that spark where it's like, Ooh, we, we got something here. So I think with some of our, you know, our biggest hit songs, like you, you mentioned Delilah when we were talking earlier, Hey there, Delilah. And um, I think the song that kind of brought us here today, our new single spaghetti tattoo they're both, you know, kind of based around an acoustic guitar, like a, a very, a very small feeling moment, right? They're very intimate. And I feel like musically, just in general, I don't even really like acoustic songs. I, you know, every once in a while, there'll be a great one that comes along, you know, like a, uh, Yesterday by the Beatles, one of my favorite songs of all time. 
Um, you know, that extreme song, More Than Words, that's such a beautiful song. So I've always loved those songs, but it's not necessarily like I don't sit around and listen to that kind of music, you know. But for some reason, when every once in a while, when we we stumble upon a little guitar part or riff that is based around that acoustic guitar, it just grabs you sometimes. And it may, it forces you to kind of listen because it is a little quieter, because it is a little bit different than everything else that's out there. So I don't know. I think we've obviously there's a lot of luck involved, too. When you're writing songs, it's like you think you're doing a great job, but it doesn't always translate that way. Um, but I do think with with, like I said, Hey There, Delilah and this new song Spaghetti Tattoo, there's definitely like as soon as you hear those first couple notes, just that guitar playing. As, as a listener, I feel like you're instantly kind of like almost subconsciously like, oh, what is this? I need to pay attention here because it's this small little thing. And then it's up to me to craft a story or, you know, to express an emotion that is that is going to connect somehow to to the listener, uh, which also isn't always the case. You know, no. When you guys were if it's with you personally, you guys together, do you set times where it's like, okay, we're going to work on songwriting right now? Or is it kind of thing where like, you know, you're just walking along and you're like, oh, I got something in my head and now I'm going to start playing it. So I will say it's definitely goes both ways. You know, the spaghetti tattoo song was actually written. I was doing a bunch of like songwriting sessions where I'd bounce around with like some friends and like, Oh, we'll go to this studio and just see what happens. And then the next day I'll be with other people and see what happens. And spaghetti tattoo just kind of came about in one of those where it was, it was actually the end of a full week of writing. And I had just gone on a date with this girl that I've been talking to for a while, but had never met in person. And we actually ended up going out one of these nights where I was doing all these songwriting sessions. And it was just such a like refreshing night that then the next day, the next session, it was like, well, you know, I went out with this girl last night. It was really fun. She had a spaghetti tattoo on her arm and we met at this restaurant. I was like, okay, the song almost wrote itself, you know, because I had just gone through this experience. And so sometimes that happens a lot of times, honestly, my song, like when I'm sitting at home and I'll just grab a guitar and write, a lot of times some of the best stuff comes from uh, procrastination, believe it or not, which maybe this ties in with the enjoying the moment thing, but it's like, okay, I've got to leave at three o'clock to meet somebody here. Uh, I still have to take a shower. It's 2.15, but you know what? For some reason, I feel like playing the guitar right now. I don't know. I feel like it's a weird like procrastination method that sometimes the best stuff comes like kind of when you least expect it, or it's like you least want it to come. But I don't know in those moments, again, maybe I'm because I'm a, a major procrastinator. I feel like just give me an excuse to not take a shower right now. I got to go write a song and that's when the magic hits or something. Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I think that a lot of people get some version of their best work done during procrastination. So for example, oh. I can clean like no one's business when I am avoiding writing an article or, you know, paying bills or whatever. Like all of a sudden I am, I am a madman in terms of cleaning, <laughs> you know, and, and by the way, that, that doesn't happen all that often, but when it does, like I'm all, I'm folding laundry, I'm making beds. I'm like, and there's, there's something about those moments where there's an energy behind it. And sometimes the energy of avoidance is powerful, not only because you just really want to get away from whatever you're 
you're thinking about, but you've given yourself permission to do it. And that combination can lead to some things. Yeah. Almost like, okay, if I'm not going to be doing the thing I'm supposed to be doing, I like better do something good, or I better think of something good right now, or yeah, I better get this room clean or whatever it is that you do. But yeah, it's almost like you need to do an extra good job because you're not doing the thing you're supposed to be doing. So there's like this little, you know, pressure on yourself or something. I don't know. One of the things that I am kind of curious about the thing that you said was, and I don't know how you phrased it, but when you hear something good, being able to acknowledge that it's good, or there's something magical, or to allow yourself to feel it. I think that one of the things that when people are with friends or they, you know, maybe they're on a date or there's something that they're doing, they have that feeling. It's like that, like that kind of extra magical feeling, but they don't necessarily give themselves permission to identify it, to follow it, to validate it. And, and have you ever had a time where you look back and you think to yourself, like, I used to, in my songwriting, kind of get those moments, but I never gave myself the permission to say like, yeah, let me, or or I didn't know when it was happening. Yeah. A lot of times, like even, you know, I, again, I'm kind of just going back to, to the songs, you know, that we're kind of talking about, but like when I wrote Hey There Delilah, it was definitely like that little guitar part. I kind of stumbled on it was like, Ooh, this is kind of nice. You know, I knew that it was like, okay, this is interesting. This is different, but it wasn't like, oh my God, I've got to write this right now. This is the next genius, amazing song of just like, oh, that's a cool little part. And then it wasn't until like a few weeks later, I had met the girl Delilah and it was like, we joked around about me having a song about her and all this stuff. And that's when I was like, oh, maybe I should try that little guitar part, mess with that a little bit more that I had from a few weeks, you know, it was just kind of kicking around in the back of my mind. But yeah, it definitely wasn't like at the time I didn't give it that moment. It was like, oh, this is cool. Like, maybe I'll use that later. You know what I mean? But luckily, the inspiration hit. And, you know, I remembered that little riff. And it, you know, it, it turned into to that the song. But yeah, a lot of times I will do that uh, where it's like, I'll have this idea. And maybe because I'm, I'm procrastinating and should be doing something else, or because I only have 15 minutes, so I have to do this. It's like, okay, this is cool. I'll just make a quick voice memo on my phone and come back to it. You know, yeah. Very rarely does a song, you know, kind of start to, and, and with Spaghetti Tattoo, it was the opposite. It was, it was written in about two hours. So that was one of the actual rare exceptions where, um, you know, you come up with this initial spark, this initial idea and just take it to the finish line right there. Um, definitely. Rare. And, and to be honest, I did kind of, in the following weeks of that song, I did sit with it and rewrite a few of the lyrics and, and, and stuff to kind of put the finishing touches on. But yeah, that's not usually the case. It, it's usually like, yeah, you get a bit here, a bit here, and then you just kind of like kind of carve out the time to uh, to finish it up. There have been situations where at least I've heard people talk about there are songs that they did not like that then became really popular. Like if, if I'm remembering correctly, I think, I think Tina Turner didn't like what's love got to do with it. Uh. You know, she just, I, and I hope I, I hope I have that right. But you know, you think of iconic song in the context of someone's career and her just, you know, or, or you hear other artists saying like, I didn't want that song on the album. Have, totally. have you ever had a situation where you've had a song where it was like, 
it's almost the opposite. It's like, I'm, I'm seeing no magic in this. <laughs> and yet somehow someone else is seeing something. You know, not really. I feel like, like that, those stories kind of bother me because it's like, I don't know if Tina Turner probably maybe didn't write what's love got to do with that. I don't know what her involvement was, or, you know, I know there's a very famous one like that. Kelly Clarkson fought so hard to have since you've been gone off her album because it was, she had a horrible time working with Max Martin, writing it or something like that. And she was crying in Clive Davis's office. And he said, no, that's a, you got to put this song out, you know, and thank God she did because that's such a great song, you know? So coming from like, as a songwriter, I feel like I have such a high respect and regard for, for songs. So yeah, to be, uh, to answer your question, that's never really happened because I feel like, you know, all the songs like with Plain White Tees, especially our big ones that have connected, um, I've loved them. You know, I mean, it's like, there's, there's that level of respect and that, that love that, and I think that's true to it. I put a lot of love because I love music and I love writing songs and I love the, just the, the pure act of writing songs so much that I feel like there is a certain amount of, of that love that can kind of be felt in the songs, you know, not even, as you said, there was, you know, we do obviously a lot of love songs, but you know, not even that aspect of it, just the love for songs, I think kind of maybe, maybe shines through in some of those big ones, you know? Yeah. And I think that one of the things that happens, I think with artists, but then there's a, there's a parallel, I guess you could make an argument. There's a parallel with love itself is that sometimes the process and the magic that people have of writing the songs and or falling in love is different than the magic it takes to perform the songs in an ongoing way or keep that love going. You know, a lot, a lot of times when I'm, when I'm working with people like that's, that's one of the things that you can kind of see is that there's the concept of the spark or what we're talking about, about enjoying the moment. There's almost this way that the skills that it takes to curate that romantic moment, that initial spark, that initial magic are not the same skills that it takes to sustain it over time. And I think that a lot of people, I, you know, what you're saying is, is it's refreshing to hear because I think that a lot of times what happens with artists is that the, the creative process is so, they're so connected to that. But then once they've done it, the performing process doesn't really have that creative spark anymore. I mean, some, some people do it, like, especially if you're, you're more improvisational, but at the end of the day, a lot, you know, like you said, the fans kind of want to hear those songs, which is also like kind of an awkward relationship sometimes. Like sometimes, you know, you go see somebody, one of your favorite bands and they'll do like the hit, but they'll change up the melody or they'll do something. And it's like, as a fan, I'm like, no, just sing, you know, you can change it up maybe a little bit in a line or two, but we want to hear the song that we love. So yeah, I think I'm just such a fanboy of music and stuff that I am more of a fan of like, give them what they want. You know what I mean? I don't know. <laughs> well, no, I, I think there's been an interesting phenomenon that has occurred related to that, which is I think tribute bands have become very popular. You know, some people will say, oh, a cover band plays in a bar, but you'll see you'll see tribute bands, like bands that are really committed to the music of a specific band playing big venues and like, you know, touring around the country. And I think that part of it is the tribute bands are, are like, again, that, that love that fanboy concept is like alive and well. It's like, 
they're playing the songs the way they as fans want to hear them played. Yeah, there's something to that for sure. Um, yeah, one of my favorite, um, actually a couple <laughs> quick stories. So there's this, this uh, American English is this Beatles tribute band that are one of my favorite bands to go see. They're so good. And of course, like you said, the Beatles are kind of a different story because they they can't play obviously anymore. But um, but yeah, so good to just see those songs live and it just, you know, it, something magical there. And then there's this other band that I love going to see a really small place in LA, this like little club called the break, uh, break room 86 that has this like eighties cover band that plays every Wednesday. They're called the good time boys. And they're just these like hipster dudes that like roll in, but then they're just like play these like garage rock versions of like all the eighties hits. And you just like, it's the best night of your life. Every time you go there, it's so fun. But yeah, there's something about just hearing those those songs that you love, like, yeah, in that live setting, whether it's a small club, whether it's a big amphitheater, whether it's, you know, outside Taste of Chicago or something like that. It's like it had there's a magic there. But I think either way, yeah, you kind of want to hear like at least sing it the way it's supposed to be sung. Right. You know, there, there is, as you said, there, there's something that's really, really cool about when people, even artists can come up with interpretations of songs that are unique. I think there's something that's, that's very cool about that. Totally. Um, oh yeah. You know, um, yeah, when somebody does a cover and it's like a little it's spun a little bit differently and it's like, Ooh, that's cool. Yeah. I, I remember I saw John Oates performing right before the pandemic and he, he was performing solo. And at the end of the show, he did, I think five Hall and Oates songs in a version that was before the final version. It was either I don't I don't know if it was if it was the version that he originally thought of or but they were all different. So like one was like a reggae version or one was mm-hmm. like you know more of a swing version. I was like okay that 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 was kind of cool because it's like you're you're, you're celebrating the song to some yeah. degree. I would I would love to clarify like a good song is a good song, right? I love going in and hearing like you know you go into some bar and there's like some guy with an acoustic guitar and he starts playing like you know, Katy Perry song or something. And you're like, oh my God, this sounds so amazing because a good song is a good song. But I think the difference is, is when, when, when you change the melodies, like that's when you're messing with the song. You know, it's like, if you take, you know, a good song, the same lyric and same melody and make it reggae or make it, you know, jazz it up a little bit or, you know, make it any kind, you can kind of put it in any genre and it's, still going to be great because that lyric and melody is so good do it like like however you want to present it but like give me that melody because that's what that that is the definition of a song is basically just the lyric and the melody you know i mean i i wonder to some extent and you bring it even into like a personal context it's like if you can feel the love and someone does a misstep i can feel the love here like they you know, maybe they they said something that they thought was a compliment, but it turns out it was it was kind of insulting, or you know, they they <laughs> right. they they got you something that that you were like, okay, that's that's not me at all. But I kind it's almost like a like a math problem where you could see they did the work, but there was like a little. I, I think that as as we're talking, if I can feel like the artist, like you said, like if they love the song still, I can go almost anywhere with it. If I can feel it, it's like, oh man, you love the song as much as as much as I do. I think it's totally. when there's that feeling like, oh, you don't love the song anymore. 
Like I, ca- right. I came here cause I love the song and you don't love the song, which is totally fine. I, it's just kind of like, I just kind of wish I didn't know that maybe. I get what you mean. Yeah. You can feel the intention. And if you feel, yeah, if they change it up a little bit, but you feel as though they're doing it out of, yeah, in the moment and they're going for it and they're feeling it, then it's, yeah, a little bit more, um, yeah, you give them the pass because you know that they're still loving it and the intent, the intention is good, right? One of the questions I would have for you is that most people looking in on artists, especially artists who have had, you know, multiple big hits, there is a kind of an assumption that the magic just flows. You know, maybe it doesn't flow exactly all the time, but there's like a, yeah, of course, it doesn't flow every second of every day, but it flows. And I guess one of the things that people struggle with sometimes is that even when things are going well, whether it's, you know, friendships, artistic creation, romantic relationships, have you ever had a time, I guess we'll talk particularly about the music where you're like, I'm just not feeling it. Definitely. Absolutely. Uh, I feel like, you know, some songs, just like we're kind of talking about with intention and everything, it's like, yeah, some songs come from a, a more, I don't want to say authentic, because that sounds like, I don't know, like some of the songs are inauthentic, which is not the case. But, you know, some of them come easier than others. Or some of them, like like we said earlier, it's like you instantly feel like, ooh, this is something nice, you know? Whereas some of them are like, okay, yeah, I think this is good or this feels good, or this is kind of where it should go or where, you know, I mean, a lot of times you can go not under like autopilot or something, but it's like, there's definitely some songs that just have that magic and some songs that just feel a little bit more like forced or a little bit more like, Oh, well, this is, I don't want to say good enough because you know I don't want to, I don't want to, talk down on my songwriting or on just songwriting in general, but in the moment of creation, like you can get lost. And it's like, if I'm left to my own devices and I'm flowing, it's like, Oh shit, it's, it's eight o'clock already. We've been doing this, you know, I've been sitting here for like four hours and it feels like it was 15 minutes, you know, because you are so lost in that. And that's almost enjoying the moment to the extreme, that process of creation, because you're just kind of like, like you said earlier, like good songs aren't written, they're discovered or whatever, you know, it's like, you're just so kind of whatever is flowing. It's like, you know, hitting all, all cylinders are engaged, you know? So there's something very magical about that. So yeah, even when you're kind of writing a, a bad song, like you still have that same feeling of like, okay, I'm doing this. And yeah, maybe it's not feeling quite as good as that one, you know, last week or whatever, but it's still in the moment, you kind of are feeling good about it. And I kind of feel like for the most part, in that moment, everything I'm writing is like, is, is golden, you know? And it's not until you kind of sit back or listen back later or the next day, or like play it for somebody where you're like, this is not as good as I thought. But then that once every once in a blue moon, you hit play and you're like, oh, yeah, oh, this is, you know, hey there, Delilah, before the song even became a hit, before it was on the radio or anything, that was a song. I used that push play analogy. It was like, this is a song where I don't care what room I'm in. It could be a bunch of punk rockers. It could be, you know, a bunch of like, you know, urban hip hop dudes. It could be in any any room I'm in. I push play on Hater Delilah 
And I know that it's going to be like, people are going to be like, oh shit, that's cool. Or that's good. You know? Can I tell you one of the things that I love about musicians is that there is a cross genre kind of a thing going like when, when someone is, especially, I feel like it's especially with a really, really good pop hit. There is such a reverence across the board. Like you can get, you can get the most extreme metal guy. (laughs) And if they hear a song that's as catchy and heartfelt as well-crafted as Hey There Delilah, or like, depending on like what generation they're from, like a Beatles song or something like that. People, for some reason, understand how, especially musicians, how difficult it is to write and perform that kind of song. I just, I feel like they just, they just get it. It's like, like when you hear it, it's not only like, oh, that's a great song, but there's a, there's a reverence that I think that people have that I really appreciate because I feel like there's like a humility among musicians that when they hear something like that, they're like, oh, wow. And they just can like stop, like you said, and which is, which is again, like you and I, you know, as fans, that's something that happens. Like you're just going along and then you hear something and Hey there, Delilah, as, as you and I talked about ahead of time is like in my family car, that is, you know, mm-hmm. as much as any song, the one that will just stop everything that's happening. And when you hear something like that, you know, for me, I got to figure out how people curate that and how people make that because the power of that I mean, how many things do that where like you really can like whatever you're doing, you're going to stop and be in that moment. That's a big deal, I think. Yeah, I wish I had that answer of how how you do that because I would do it much more often. But um, thank you, by the way, for, for saying that. And I'm, I'm really glad and honored that that song does have that effect on a lot of people. It's pretty amazing. But yeah, I, I, I don't know how, you know, it was just, you know, to be the humble answer would be, well, it was just track 13 on some album we made, you know, which is the reality. It's like I'm writing songs all the time and every one I think is just as good as the last, you know, like we said, once in a while, there'll be something where like, Ooh, this one feels special. And Delilah was definitely that one that felt a little bit more just intimate, more personal, more, more authentic, more, more better. I wish I could tell you like, oh yeah, for that one, I did this and this and this differently. And that's why I did it. But it's, and, and that's the thing is that I feel getting back to this concept of enjoying the moment. I think one of the things that's so difficult about being in that space and then obviously making art that's in that space is that as soon as you become self-conscious of it, it's no longer the same thing. So totally. if, on some level, if you knew how you did it, you probably wouldn't have done it. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Like I had my, uh, by the way, that song, Hey There Delilah was written over about six months. The whole beginning of it, the whole first verse and chorus, it just kind of poured out like after I met that girl Delilah. And it was like, like I said, I had that guitar riff sitting there and I was like, Oh, tried playing it. And it was just written in five minutes, the whole first beginning, you know? And then it was like, then there was like the, Oh shit, this is actually really good. Like now I've got to like, make every line in the rest of the song as good as those first couple lines, you know, it was like a little pressure, but again, we were, you know, we're on an independent label. We didn't have any like deadlines. We were still coming up, you know, we didn't have an, an audience that was just waiting for the next one or, you know, so it was like, there was zero pressure. It was like the pressure was all just internal of like, okay, 
yeah, I want to make this song freaking awesome. You know, I want to make it as good as I can. That was it. That was, that was what, where my headspace was for that song. And then of course, once you have a big hit, now there's all this external, you know, pressure and, and different elements that producers, labels, management, fan base that, that now in my mind, the next time I'm writing that, you know, I could have Hey There Delilah, but maybe this time I fuck it up because I'm thinking about all these other things and it's not as genuine or not as, I guess, like I said, I keep using that word authentic because I really think that that's a, a good word for, you know, some of our hit songs. They really connect on that level of like that they were written with a sole purpose, not to be a hit, but like, just to like, to express that emotion. Like, I mean, our biggest hits, one, two, three, four, uh, Hey There Delilah and Rhythm of Love, they were all literally written specifically for like one girl for one moment, kind of. And I think that's kind of the, the beauty of those songs is that they were just kind of meant to be. And maybe this goes back to what we were saying about, you know, you know, living in the moment or stopping that moment, you know, and being forcing the listener to, to connect and listen because they are so intimate and so personal and so like they're meant to be so small, I guess. Well, the, the thing, I guess the word that kept coming into my head as you were talking was it was so innocent. Hmm. It was, there was an innocence to it that I think translates in, in real life into a vulnerability. And I think that that's the place where most people actually unfortunately find terror is the <laughs> idea of like, whoa, like I am, I'm sitting here. I'm as on a core level without any pretense. I'm just like, I just want to be with you. You know, and you think about how many songs that, that hit with people are along those lines where you can really feel that. But there's some, there something about Hey There Delilah that was, it was so, it was authentic, but it was so innocent. It was just like, and, and people I think could identify with it because there was a, at one time it was small, but it was also grandiose. That's the place where I think the most amazing things happen, where it's like, you know, you imagine you know, go, going back to like, you know, if you think about my generation, like where somebody like Bon Jovi really gets, I think a lot of his powers, the ability to get as, as, like you said, so small in this like little moment in Jersey, but the grandiosity, you know, Bruce Springsteen the same way, like, but the grandiosity of the vision that comes from that small moment, because Hey There Delilah is not about like, Hey, let's you and I like, you know, get together and we're going to have coffee and it's going to be, it's like, we're going to take over the world together. <laughs> And right. it's not even going to be taking over the world. It's going to be taking over our world. I think people have trouble getting there because it really is terrifying to even, even think along those lines, you know, because then you have to spend so much time not being in that space. I think that to me, that's what is so scary about it, is if you let yourself be there for even a moment, everything else sort of feels less than, you know? Huh. Yeah, that's an interesting um, take on it. I love that. But it's funny to me because you, as you're pointing it out, I feel like, oh, yeah, in a weird way, that's just kind of how I'm always kind of thinking and living. You know what I mean? Like, I kind of always am a bit of, I don't know if you want to call it a dreamer or what it is, but like, yeah, it's like, I honestly believed when I was like writing that song that like, yeah, the world's going to be different because of you. You know, it's like that stupid, it's like a romantic movie 
Like I love those movies because it's like that one person just comes along and just shakes your whole world up. And I guess what you're saying is like, yeah, that's scary to a lot of people or a lot of people kind of maybe want that, but are also kind of afraid of it at the same time. And I guess I've never really felt that uh, afraid part. Yeah. Open to it, I guess. Yeah. No. And it's, it's like, it's almost like you have to make a decision at some point and it's, and it's not one decision. Like, I think that's the thing is that it almost feels like we're always fighting on some level, which is an odd term considering what we're talking about, maybe struggling or working is a better way of, of saying it to be in that spot where we can have those moments. Because I think that for a lot of people, music is the first place where they have that moment at all. And they don't even know what it is. You know, so for example, like my kids heard that long before they have any concept of love or or music or even what that is. They're just strapped in the backseat knowing that they love that song. I think that's one of the reasons why music's so important to us because for most people, that's the first time that we have that kind of combination of like innocence and like, and we can be taken to another place at the same time. Like, I think that's usually, it's usually music because it's, I don't know that many things that can do that otherwise. Like if you have a personal dream, like of, of being something, but that usually comes a little bit later. Well, I will say that, and this is something that I've kind of realized throughout the last few years, I feel like, you know, we're going around the topic of living in the moment, right. And, and finding those moments and being able to live in them. I feel as though that's, that is literally the importance of art, whether it is a painting whether it is a song, whether it's a movie, any a book, right? It allows you to literally like experience something and pay attention to something. Like it, it almost all of those things force you to live in the moment. Like even you're looking at a piece of art, you are thinking about that thing. And it's like, does it make me feel? Do I, is it ugly? Is it beautiful? Am I emotional? Does it make me emotional? I don't know. But whatever it is in that moment, you're forced to interact and you're forced to think about it and have an opinion. A movie, that's that's probably my favorite form of art. I love movies for that reason. Just like, okay, whatever my life is, it doesn't matter because for this two hours, I'm going to just engulf myself into this story, whatever it is. And that's like, I'm not going to, be on my phone. I'm not going to think about my bills I have to pay or my responsibility. I'm going to shut down and live in this moment. And honestly, you can kind of even go to like sports, like, cool, I'm going to go watch the Cubs and yeah, I'll have a beer. And I'm just going to let like when that home, when a home run happens, that moment, you are there, you are standing up, you are high-fiving people, you are present in that moment. And so I feel like that's probably like a big reason why sports are so important to so many people because it forces them to like be in those moments. Again, I don't know what, exactly what point I'm trying to make, but I've just kind of like made these like little like realizations, like I said, over the last few years, especially of like, yeah, why do I love art so much? Why do I love movies and music so much? Why are sports so important to the world and so many people? And it's like, well, I think it's because of that reason. It forces you to like, shut off anything else, shut off your brain and just be there and be present. And I think for, for so many people, just knowing that they can feel that way, even for a brief moment, you know, especially when we start thinking about 
people who struggle with depression or anxiety or or poverty or whatever, you know, a variety of different things that can encroach on that feeling. Just knowing that you have it somewhere in you can reorganize your whole life because it's like, oh, at least I know on an emotional level what I'm going for now. You know, and obviously on some level that can be problematic when people go to something like drugs or alcohol or something like that, because, you know, there are things that give that feeling at least to an extent, you know, just regularly that are not necessarily that healthy. But when you find something that gives, but doesn't necessarily then take back, right? Because the the problem with, with alcohol and drugs is not really what it gives. It's what it then takes back afterwards. That's, that's kind of a problem. It's sort of like, I'll give you a dollar, but I'm taking back five. And yet something like music or sports or art, to some degree, it's like, well, there's not necessarily that take back depending on how you do it. And when you can find something like that, I mean, that can really, I mean, that's, you know, how many, how many people say music changed my life? Like, you know, this art, this, this piece of art changed my life or with sports. Like, I mean, I, I remember being, I mean, I still am a New York Rangers hockey fan. And I remember how much my life changed after they won the cup in 93, 94. I mean, I was a grown adult. And I remember being like, there's a hopelessness that is in my life because they have not won in so long. <laughs> and now the way I, the way I not only approach sports, but the way I approach my life was different afterwards. There was like, I'm like, wow, what is this power? I don't even know these people. They don't know me, but right. as far as I'm concerned, like they matter to me. We're still, you know, the 85 bears are still like legendary. Like in my heart, if I think about the 85 bears, I'm like transported to a different place and there's hope, there's love, there's excitement. And I was like four years old or something, whatever at the time, you know? No. And I was, that was right when I was growing up the fridge. We're shouting out the fridge here. I didn't know that that, I didn't know the fridge was going to come up in, in, in this conversation, but he's always there. Never know where it's going to go. You know, (laughs) let me, let me ask you just a couple of other things on this. Has there ever been a time where it's almost been the opposite, where you have, I mean, I shouldn't say it's the opposite. It's not only that the the good feeling just isn't there. Because obviously one of the things that people are afraid of when they feel something as good as the sentiments in Hey There, Delilah, is there's going to be something bad that happens from the loss. I mean, I think there's, you know, I'm sure you've been asked a million times, like, what what happened to Delilah? And like, where is she? And like, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I think that though one of the things that I find very interesting is that I value those embracing that sadness or that hopelessness almost as much as I, and maybe even more than the good times. You know, so for example, like I, I, I love my wife. Like we can have a great time together. But what really makes her my wife is that she can be there with me during my darkest times and sort of handle it and even and even help most of the time. I'm just kind of wondering from your perspective, if, if you ever find yourself going down a not so great path, do you sort of say, Hey, I want to get back to that dreamer vibe. Or do you say, Hey, this is as important and valid artistically or whatever, as, as the good times. I'm just, I'm just going to go with that too. Or do you say, no, I'm going to, I'm going to pull out of that a little bit. So definitely, definitely go through those times. I I, I'd like to say, first of all, I feel like I'm a, pretty much an eternal optimist, you know, like even when things, bad things happen, I can still usually like, not like find the good in them because a lot of times there's 
not necessarily any good, but at least acknowledge that moment and okay, this sucks. And this is like, roll up the sleeves, like, okay, well, what do I got to do to like, to get out of it or figure it out, you know? So I'm, I'm luckily have, I think that ability where can kind of usually for the most part, turn a negative into a positive in some way, or at least find the silver lining, you know? But honestly, like with some of the things, just as a creator and as a, as a songwriter, I think, you know, we're talking about obviously with our, with our hits, you know, that we've had, they're usually the, the good times or the, oh, this girl is inspiring me or I'm feeling this or that. But I mean, you know, most, if you listen to most of our catalog, you usually turn to the guitar when you're feeling shitty or when something's going wrong in your life, you know? It's much easier, I feel like, to 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 write about that, you know, because that's when you really need to get it out. You know what I mean? Like you said, like when you, oh, this is so great and Delilah and this love story is so beautiful. But the other side of that is, yeah, when that girl that you love leaves you or when you guys have this fight and you you can't stand each other, that is on the other, the other end of those coins, you know? So it's much easier and personally more, more necessary to then grab the guitar and write about that, because that's when you really need to get that off your chest or you need to express yourself. And sometimes you can't do it to that partner or to your friends because you don't want to rag to your friends about your, your drama and your life or, you know, so a lot of times you can just sit in the room and, and put it out into a song or something. So, so yeah, that stuff definitely happens, but Luckily, as a writer, you can just kind of use that for inspiration as well, you know? Yeah, well, Todd, listen, thank you so much uh, for coming on the podcast. This has been great talking with you, incredibly informative. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people like myself and my family have enjoyed your music for years. And so I'm hoping this uh, adds a little bit to what people are taking away from it. Well, thank you so much. And yeah, I will just say one last thing that that new song, why I'm kind of here, Spaghetti Tattoo. I think the point of that song is is this at the center of everything we're talking about. You know, I'm on this date with a girl and the chorus is, uh, you know, take it easy, let it flow. Don't know where it's going to go, but it feels good not to know. I think that's the ultimate surrender of like, it doesn't matter if I'm marrying this girl or I never see her again. I'm here. I'm enjoying myself. I'm having a good time. And that's really all that matters. That's really all that you need out of any situation, you know, just to be present in that situation. You know, you're at a Cubs game. Of course you want the Cubs to win, but you know what? I'm at the game and every pitch is a, is another chance. Every, you know, it's like the mo it's all about the moment, not always about the outcome. So I think that's, that's what the song, I think that the magic of, of this one, why people are really responding to it, I think. And I think that's, yeah, how it kind of relates to everything else we've been talking about. So just wanted to, to make that the little exclamation point of the conversation. No, fantastic. Thank you so much, man. And uh, I hope, uh, just honestly, best of luck, ongoing success. And I hope we get a chance to talk again. I would love to. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for all, again, not only all of the uh, the kind words, but you, you made me think a little bit about some of the, you know, reasons why, why I've done things. And like, like I said, it's like, man, I never really thought about that other side of it and the fear, because like I said, as an artist, you just, you just go write that song then, you know? So I don't know. Thanks for making me think. 
So there you have it. Tom Higginson of the Plain White Tees talking about how he understands, develops, and expresses that magical feeling that he portrays in his songs, like Hey There, Delilah, and in his personal life. Now, there's so much to take away from the conversation with Tom. One of the things that I wanted to highlight was something Tom said when talking about the song Spaghetti Tattoo. He explained that he felt that the song came from procrastination. Now, this gets into a really complicated area that many of us have when we seek out that magical feeling on our purpose-driven path. As we work towards our goals, we often feel like we hit a wall where we just can't seem to focus on what we are trying to do. And in those moments, we often don't know whether to keep going and push a bit harder or take a break and potentially do something else. Is this the time that we break through barriers and really achieve our purpose? Or are we just grinding ourselves down by pushing ourselves too hard? So these approaches can actually work together. When we set out to engage in a particular activity or task, it is really crucial that we try our best to stay focused on what we are doing so we can follow through on our goals and commitments. That will help us build the tenacity and stamina that we need to achieve our goals and give us the best chance to experience that magical feeling in whatever we do. But if we've committed to keep working as hard as we can, and we are still hitting a wall, that can be a good time to give ourselves permission to shift gears for a bit. Now, what many of us do is shift gears from trying to be productive into doing something that perhaps is more avoidant. So we stop studying, let's say, but start watching TV or playing video games. And this can be okay once in a while. But often what can be more effective on our purpose-driven journey is when we set out to achieve a goal to have a backup alternative productive goal to work on if we are struggling with that initial goal. So for example, if we are studying and need to take a break, know that we will clean our room during that break, or perhaps go for a walk or get some kind of exercise or movement. Or maybe for some people, we can have a guitar handy to practice our music or work on a song. Whatever it is, we can sometimes build towards and experience that magical feeling through alternative paths. I want to thank my wife and Hardcore Humanism co-founder, Island Booman, for working with me on our podcast. And I want to thank Ars Longa Media founder, Dr. Patrick Beeman, for partnering with us and Aaron McHugh for producing this podcast. And of course, thanks to my brothers in Odd Zero for letting us use Odd Zero music. If you like what you hear in the podcast, subscribe on your favorite app, give us a rating, and write a review. And if you'd like to take the next step and make change in your life, check out the Hardcore Humanism Therapy and Coaching Program at HardcoreHumanism.com. So get at it, hardcore humans. See you next time.